This is Jared. And this is just some dude named Nathaniel. And welcome to A Cup of Tea. Everyone's intelligence has been shaped by distinct personal experiences. If you're curious to shed light on both humanity's collective and intimate truths, then take a seat with an open mind and a full cup while we examine reality through the blurry lens of our own individual perspectives. Chill out with an ice cold sip while we talk about resource-based economy. Well, hello there, Nathaniel. Thank you once again for joining us today on A Cup of Tea. As always, Jared, it is an absolute pleasure to be here. And this is your first iced tea as well. So welcome to the casual form. I got my, I don't know if you can hear it, but if you can hear the ice in my drink right now, I, got, I do have a nice beverage to celebrate uh, the occasion at least. As did I. I. I did have ice in my water, but it's it's since melted. So maybe I should go get some more ice. <laughs> it seems like you've come unprepared for this informal conversation. Very unprepared. I honestly could not be more disappointed in myself. I think I should just shut it down. I think I should log off and, and be done for the day. Um, you know, that is definitely um, an agreeable statement. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean... Yeah, so I'll, I'll be better next time, I promise. I'll, I'll make sure that um, I have all the ice. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. So it's good to see you here, you buddy, though. You know, obviously it's been a while since we've been able to see each other, so I've definitely come to uh, look forward to these recordings to actually get to hear you and uh, have a conversation with you. Likewise, Nathaniel. Yeah, I mean, it's... Geez, I, I don't even remember when exactly the last time we saw each other in person, but obviously with COVID-19 and the quarantine and... Just all the other stuff that's been happening in both of our lives, it's it, like we haven't been able to see each other in person. This is our only uh, forum, but it's it's a great forum to share with you, and I'm honored to share it with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably been, you know, nearly eight, nine months, you know, since we saw you early this year. But, you know, ever since COVID started, you know, we haven't had that opportunity. So, you know, in these uh, trying times and these changing times, you know, it's important to find these other avenues of connection. And I'm happy that at least, you know, between the two of us, we've been able to find one where we can share that medium. Yeah, exactly. And I, if I could have known what was going to happen back in, say, you know, February, early March, I totally would have been like, let's hang out before stuff goes down, but we all know that's not how life works, so at least we're making it work. Making it work, making our way downtown. But yeah, thanks again for joining me today, Nathaniel. This is going to be a fun session. Again, the iced tea series is a little more informal than a normal cup of tea episode, so there's no facts, there's no research involved here. This is strictly based on our own individual perspectives, and kind of going through and, and thinking about different concepts abstractly and, and how they apply to us as individuals and society as a whole. So you today, know, I would, uh, oh, what were you going to say? I was just going to make a, a reference in saying what the youth say is I'm down with that sickness. <laughs> yep, exactly. So today's topic, Nathaniel, it, it was something that you inspired me to talk about before, and that is a resource-based economy. Would you be able to describe in your own words to the audience what what does that look like for you if you could sum it up in just like a sentence no sentence no now you're now you're really hamstringing me here um, <laughs> i'm putting you on the spot okay so essentially um what a resource-based economy would be in the simplest terms is we would um instead of having our economy based off of money 
it would be based off of the available resources that we have here on planet Earth, whether they be renewable or finite, and making our economic decisions based off of what the allocation or use of those resources would be. Perfect. Yeah, I, I love that definition. I think it's honestly as simple as you could have gotten. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can ever simply define any economic term personally. <laughs> um, because economies are just so inherently complex as we've gone, you know, we're, it's not a simple um, bartering system or anything like that, you know, that we might have had in um, uh, at the beginning of the Anthropocene. Right. But um, um, at least nowadays, at least, you know, uh, with how large economies and how intrinsically they are part of human society, there isn't a simple one sentence answer to define any economy, whether it be a command economy or a market economy or, or in this case, a resource economy. Um, but I think it is to have, you know, what is that boil down, reduce, solve to at least have a base to have this informal conversation. And, you know, pretty much that's what it is. It'd be basically, you know, we have uh, let's just make up a number. We have 10 billion trees on this earth. You know, that's a renewable source. So we can use, I don't know, one billion a year um, to make paper products. Um, and we can plant one one point five billion a year to make sure it's a renewable source or something like that. You know, so it's these very it's just basically using what sources we have and um, having them be allocated to what we need them to be. Now, the issue is, and it'd be very difficult to avoid this, is I'm personally not a believer in command economies. Yep. Um, and a command economy is when um, the government or the state says, we need to build 10,000 homes or something like that, and they're all going to be the same home and everything like that. I'm intrinsically not a believer of that because any example of historic command economies have been marked by incredible inefficiency. Right. Just look at what the USSR did. You can look at what originally what China was doing um, mm -hmm. after Mao's um, thing. It's just it, command economies are marked by incredible inefficiency. And so the issue that I have when it comes to resource economies, as much as I believe it is as an ideology and how we should be using our resources, is that element of how do you still have it be somewhat of a free market based um, resource based, though. And that's why I don't that's, and I have been able to get it because uh, it's just under our current economic understanding. It's such a foreign concept that it almost, <laughs> you know, it almost doesn't make sense. <laughs> Right, and it's it honestly is something that isn't even anywhere close to our current capitalist system. And I think that this is a perfect topic to talk about for today's episode, the first time we do an iced tea together, because this is something that's fairly abstract. It's it's not there's no solid foundation of a resource-based economy today. This is more of a theory, but kind of thinking about, okay, well, how could this work? Or what are what are some ideas that you know, society at large has had, or, or maybe even us as individuals and, and how it could affect us. But you're absolutely right. And I think you really highlighted some great examples there. I know that there's been a lot of communist nations, as you mentioned, China's one where they have tried to do the pre-planned approach with, you know, building massive cities and infrastructure. Russia did it before, back when they were the USSR. And you're absolutely right. What you do see is a lot of inefficiency, uh, what they call quote unquote, ghost cities just entire cities full of apartment buildings and infrastructure that's just not getting used and it's completely wasteful. When you look at it as a whole, when I think of a resource-based economy, it tells me that if we're able to figure something out to do that and, and follow a system that aligns with the ideal resource-based economy, then I think 
society as a whole across the globe would be way more sustainable than it is today because you're really taking from what you have and not borrowing against something you don't have. Yeah, I think that is that what you just touched on is an incredibly important point. Um, before I touch on that, though, I think I want to just uh, touch on the China ghost city phenomena first. Um, I think that one of the issues you have with these command economies and everything like that is they take a look at what the needs is as a whole and that's something that's very easy to mess up in statistical analysis is that causation is not correlation exactly um, just because these are all individual needs does not mean people are going to utilize them because when it comes down to an individual level everyone has their own individual agency if do they have the capital um, to make that transition to live in one of these different things do they have the want or the needs and when oftentimes is you know People just say, no, I'm going to go do what I want. <laughs> you know, that's kind of fundamental to the human condition. Yep. So it's really hard to project and create an infrastructure that people are going to utilize um, based off of that because um, intrinsically, um, everyone's motivations are going to be different and everyone's capital is going to be different. Now, what the mark, though, of that would be so beneficial to a resource based economy like we talked about is one of the grossest inefficiencies that we have in our current uh, market system is the utilization of non-renewable sources, mm -hmm. such as fossil fuels, coal, and precious metals. Um, these are things that once we use them up, they're, they're gone. Yeah, plain and simple. Completely gone. And we know we don't have a we don't have an understanding of how much we have, which is a bigger issue too. We have estimates, and those estimates can change. And then, the, um, from when we find new resources, they can also be undercutted when um, individual nations want to say they have more, so they can look better for investors. Mm -hmm. So we have this kind of double-edged sword when it comes to these um, non-renewable resources that are marked by just immense speculation, which is a very dangerous thing to put your economy on. And then that intrinsically makes the entire economy that we base ourselves around unsustainable. It's, it's a limited capacity when you have a, an economy based on a finite resource. And once that resource is gone, you know, it's a boom town. You know, same thing in Tombstone, Arizona. Yep. Um, for instance, when the mines cleared up, everyone got up and left. And left, a, you know, just, a, you know, a room tune cowboy sideshow, essentially. Exactly. Now, the things about a resource-based economy is it's not saying we wouldn't use the finite resources. Finite resources would still be used in a resource-based economy. However, the central focus um, of what makes that, that economy sustainable wouldn't be dependent on those finite sources. They would be um, dependent on renewable sources, um, and they would use finite sources sparingly when needed to to overcome certain challenges um, that would be need to be faced by them. So examples of this be instead of having combustible engine cars, there would be cars based off of some type of renewable energy, water, or something like that. Steam power, you know, I don't know if we want to maybe pass the steam power without um, the industrial power, but you know, there's a lot of arguments to be made that electricity was um, intentionally hampered by um, the fossil fuel industry, but we don't need to get too far into conspiracies on this topic. <laughs> Right. You know, so it's it really it, what it really comes down to is where do you value value the allocation of resources? And currently in our economic model, the value of, econ of, of those economic resources are actually based on corporations, not individuals. Corporations are the ones who are dictating what gets who gets what resource and in what quantity. Um, now, it is um, 
by no means a monopoly. You know, like for instance, ExxonMobil, as big as they are, they can't set the oil prices because of how many other competitors there are. But these giant corporations and these and these are the ones who are intrinsically making policy to use what and in and how much. Yep. Whereas in a resource-based economy, that's the answer I don't have, is how do you determine how much resources get allocated without being a command-based structure? Um, and that I don't have the answer to. Um, I'm not really sure how to deal with that. I, you could potentially have a scientific pilgrim um, that is a group of scientists who would be like, okay, we can expend this many resources is in let's say home goods this year and just have a hard limit in that and allow people to use up the resources up until it's in but then that current can create serious issues of scarcity so it's I, I just don't have that answer of how to determine what gets what versus what gets what because it's not a one-to-one -one ratio and it's not an equitable ratio either that way um, so it's it's hard to determine those motivations because intrinsically what a resource-based economy would have to do to be successful would have to reimagine all of the human structures as a whole too as well. Well first what I'll say to that is it's always blown my mind the fact that our whole energy economy is founded upon finite resources, fossil fuels. And even when I had first learned in school about where we get our energy from and found out that it's being depleted and it's never going to come back, or at least not for millions and millions of years that we don't have, it really begs the question, like, what are we doing here? Like, we're, we're almost like building a tower of blocks on top of a foundation that is already crumbling and will one day disappear. And we have no answer for it. We have no substitute whatsoever. So... I think the first step towards achieving any sort of resource-based economy, like you said, is to start to utilize and make the transition to renewables. Obviously, this is not something that could be done overnight, but it's an initiative that needs to happen. This transition absolutely needs to take place for us to have a future that is more equitable, more sustainable, and all the like. However, you, you did bring up an, another interesting point, which is obviously having a resource-based economy, there's a couple of different factors that work against it. So there is the, the human selfishness, if you will, because I could be told that me as an individual, say I have an allotment where I could really only eat red meat you know, once a week because that is the quantity or, or whatever quantity of red meat that they're able to allot per week, that's what you get for say a restaurant or for an individual, then you're kind of messing with the economic principle of supply and demand because the supply is fixed, but the demand isn't. Human consumers are always going to have demand for more potentially than what is available, mm -hmm. which could potentially... Are you gonna create black markets that way? Yes, and, and based on our current market, in which we use fiat money, which is actually money that doesn't exist, it's just money that everybody believes exists and has value attributed to it, that would, in a regular fiat-based economy like ours and capitalism, would drive those prices up. And it, it, it's, it's, it's an argument on both sides, right? Like we need to constrain supply at points, at, at certain choke points, so we're not depleting the system. But then we also have to figure out the obstacle of supply and demand. And then you get into the second aspect. So the first is supply and demand. The second obstacle to the resource-based economy, or at least the transition to, would probably be predicting. 
predictability because again, much like with supply and demand, you need to be able to look not just in the present like supply and demand, but you need to be able to look into the future and kind of estimate roughly, you know, what is our bandwidth gonna be? How much do we need? How much do we need to conserve? And as, as you know, it's, it's very hard for humans to predict as complex a phenomenon as weather. <laughs> we, can, we can barely do that with a shred of accuracy um, within the next seven days, let alone say years in advance of plotting out resources. Now, having said that, while there are some main challenges to resource-based economy, I think it does offer a reap of benefits and we can discuss those um, as well. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, um, I think that a good transition in between them is I'll first start with your, the second point you just talked about and, and return to the first one is the, it, one of the issues we inherently have in, like you said, the predictability of our current economic models, and when you gave a good analogy with weather, is uh, I just saw uh, an article and I read about it where David Attenborough called for the world to basically collectively put $500 billion a year annually into environmental conservation. Now, the issue is that's great in theory. However, that is a minuscule amount and does not work when there is opposing forces such as the fossil fuel industry yeah. um, going into that. So it's in this inherent model that we currently have, there's these contradicting forces that don't allow for any predictability um, whatsoever or really any long-term strategic planning too. Um, when you have so many different uh, forces not, not on the same pages and most often than not opposing each other, mm -hmm. you you get what we got, <laughs> plain and simple. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think this is highlighted in the fact that, you know, we had in, uh, after Woodrow Wilson, the institution of the Federal Reserve, they said that, you know, this is basically a safety net so we never have a depression and then we see the worst depression, <laughs> you know, years after that. <laughs> and we've had, um, even though we've had relative market stability and growth in the Western Hemisphere, at least, and especially in the U.S., that has been marked also by recurring major recessions. Mm -hmm. So even though we are we are on overall a positive trend, it hasn't been sustainable, and it hasn't been the 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 peaks and valleys don't even haven't evened out how people thought they would even out in Keynesian economics at least. Now to go back to your, your earlier point, talking about finite resources, and one of the biggest issues we have in our economy currently is in the use of uh, re the reuse of goods. Um, we are a very wasteful economy um, and a very wasteful society. And this yep. can be said for, you know, 99% of the world's countries. There's a few outliers I would like to include in there. You know, there's a, there's a con there in part of the constitution in, um, I can't remember the name of the country in Southeast Asia, they dedicated that two thirds of the entire country has to be left to wild forest and everything like that. I'm like, Hey, there, there's someone doing something. But for the whole, we're a very wasteful economy. And right. one of the, the biggest examples about this is as we've come to understand the recycle in, recycling industry is it's really been a, a farce um, and a lie for the use specifically of single-use plastics. Single-use plastics are, um, though they say they are recyclable, a vast majority of single-use plastics end up in landfills even after they've been put into the recycling bin by individual consumers. Mm -hmm. And the issue that comes up with this is because it is not economically profitable to reuse those single-use plastics. So that fork that you got last time you had Chipotle and you put it in the recycling bin in your house and it went to the recycling bin, was thrown away and actually for a long time was sent to China for them to deal with. And now I believe they're opening up something in Portland or not Portland, in Oregon to be dealing with them or Washington. Big single-use plastic landfills basically essentially. Um, and we just kind of don't talk about this. We, you know, because of a very successful propagandized campaign to take the onus of responsibilities from companies to place them on individual consumers, making them feel good by recycling. 
when in reality, unfortunately, a lot of the recycling you do has no net benefit and is actually a deterrent on the overall ecosystem of planet Earth. We don't really talk about that, you know? It's only real realistically, only recently ever even starting to get any real traction. So, and, but we're, we're, we're addicted to plastics in this, mm -hmm. in this world. You know, um, people don't realize that the people who make plastic are the fossil fuel industry because plastics are petroleum. Yep, they are. And so instead of it being two different forces, it's really just two different fingers on the same hand. And they just two, take two different models to negate their responsibility. Now, what would be different in a resource-based economy is it wouldn't matter of what the cost was necessarily to reuse those single-use plastics. The, the incentive wouldn't be a monetary one to do it. It would be a sustainable. Um, that's what the intrinsic motivations would be at that point. And it would be more than cost beneficial at that point to reduce and um, recycle those single-use plastics again and break them down into their polymers and make them be a new fork or make that fork into a water jug or whatever it might be or into mm -hmm. a new part. Now, because plastics are incredibly important, in manufacturing and a lot of different technological things. And I, we can't, um, it, pl plastic polymers are an amazing thing. They can hold hydrochloric acid without dissolving. You know, we can't put those in metal bins, but you can put it in a plastic thing, you know, stuff like that. Right. You know, because they, uh, they don't react to different things. So, and they're incredibly important in some very high technology stuff um, as well. You know, you, you, we couldn't have gone to the moon without plastic, plain and simple, in a lot of different things like this. However, we don't, use it again then once we use that stuff throw it to the wayside it's gone and then now it sits in the earth for you know god damn longer lifetimes <laughs> than we'll ever see and our kids will ever see you know just you know this this water bottle i used the other day that's going to be in the landfill you know probably after the death of humanity cradle to grave exactly and um there because there is just no incentive um, to use them in our current economic model. Whereas in a resource-based economy, that's not looked at as a one-time use thing. It's looked at its entire longevity of what it could be in different forms and reimagined and reused. It would take the, it would be using these finite resources that we have and milking them to the, the very, you know, brass tacks and the minimal use that we can get out uh, the maximum use we can get out of them because it's a finite resource yeah if we, we want to extend the life of that finite resource in as many lifetimes as possible and that's just one of the benefits that we were and you kind of alluded to there at, at the end of your um tangent of what is a benefit of resource-based economy is it's not you don't look at it as what it can we get it in the immediate right here right now no, you look at it as a resource, as what is the entire lifespan of this resource and we, that we can utilize it and max utilize it. And that's where a lot of the economic efficiency of a resource-based economy takes place, is it's not um, a, a short-term gain versus a long-term loss. Yeah. It's a, potentially maybe a short-term loss versus a long-term gain. So it's not, is it inefficient or efficient? It's where do you place your value of efficiency? Uh, right here, right now? which humans are by design typically going to do, or do you have this transition where you have a moral paradigm shift to a long-term efficient model-based solution? And that's where, because um, if you can start finding ways to invest and make it more affordable even to reuse like single-use plastics and everything like that, that creates a heck of a lot more economic efficiency for a single-use item that can be turned into a multi-use item. And if we're talking about finite resources, I'd rather my finite resource be used multiple times for different things than one time for half a salad. 
I absolutely agree, Nathaniel. And th you're, you're right, there's no current economic benefit or reward for making things biodegradable so that they instead linger in the soil or on Earth for who knows how long. We, we have not had nearly enough time to study how long it takes some of these different manufactured items and goods to break down. Yeah, if I may real quick, it's almost like, you know, we should talk about them as like radioactive materials that have like a half-life, you know, yep. just the time scale we're talking about for these plastics to decompose. I completely agree. It's, it's just as bad almost as radioactive waste. I mean, sure, radioactive waste can potentially give somebody cancer or have other harmful side effects in the environment, but there's also harmful side effects to having plastics that aren't biodegradable just sitting on the surface embedded in the soil and preventing plants and other wildlife from flourishing. Well, and now we're starting to see some of the real adverse effects of those microplastics and nanoplastics and how they can cause all these different diseases and just um, economic or ecological destruction, you know, mm -hmm. where, um, you know, maybe a plastic rips up. And that's that's what the real dangerous thing about it, especially single-use plastics is, is, you know, you might have a water bottle that broke up and it gets all in small pieces and you think, oh, it's fine now. But, you know, even something at five centimeters now or millimeters that gets into my system that irritates some of my cells and everything like that. And all of a sudden I have cancer. Yeah. You know, there is some um, recent studies that have been linking this stuff to it. We all have plastic in us now. <laughs> it's not It's not a joke. You know, people used to just be upset. Oh, you know, one in five seagulls have plastic now in it. No, now we all, everyone has plastic inside them, essentially. You're absolutely right. And, and just like we all have microplastics inside of us now, we also have trace amounts of radioactive materials from, and people don't think about this, but from bomb drops that occurred here on U.S. soil decades ago, there's still traces of that in things that we've consumed and our bodies. Oh yeah, from the air. Yeah, and from the air. So I, I when I think about it, I, I think that a resource-based economy would be able to alleviate that burden with the, you know, not having an incentive for biodegradable goods and also single-use plastics, as you mentioned, because there would be almost a direct, I mean, there would be inherently a direct benefit to reusing and being more sustainable with that. And I think that's, th those are the mm -hmm, biggest yeah. selling points for resource-based economy. It's it's the sustainability aspect, it's the economic efficiency, and just how it's going to be able to really propel us forward. I think, Nathaniel, human beings can continue to flourish in our current economic system, right? For some time, but it's yeah. finite. And once we reach a certain point, we're going to be forced to change anyways, whether we're ready to or not. And we're already going to be dealing with the consequences of things like climate change and running out of resources. And we're not really thinking preemptively now. I mean, we could we could start now and start to reap the benefits earlier or we do it later and we're going to have to be more adaptive. One way or another, it's going to happen, though. And I think that you know, obviously a resource-based economy, potentially, if we could ever figure out the logistics of it, would be able to carry us potentially thousands, tens of thousands of years or even beyond into the future. It really would be sustainable enough to where it's almost like one generation hands the ball off to the next and then that generation is able to hand the ball off to the next and always considering and thinking seven steps down the line. You know, I know they talk about in sustainability culture, like in science, you know, think about what your actions today have on seven generations down the line. And that's even a Native American ideology. 
I think that's something we could really learn from today. And I, I think that it's really maybe one of the keys to finally achieve a truly sustainable society that doesn't just prop up recycling as some PR stunt, but actually holistically wants to reuse things. And I'll, I'll say this as well, Nathaniel, it, it kind of bothers me as someone who does value the environment and someone who does value recycling and, and sees the value in recycling that it's not taken seriously. And I've gotten, you know, upset on quite a few occasions just internally when I realize, you know, certain cities are like, oh, well, we won't recycle this or we won't recycle that. Or it, it makes you ask yourself, well, why? And and you you answer the question. It's like, it's, it's profits, obviously. But we need to move past this economy based on fiat money if we ever want to get to where we want to be with a truly sustainable society. But again, it, it doesn't come without its, its consequences, of course. There's going to be restrictions. There's going to be changes. I just think, quite simply, it, it's inevitable. Well, yeah, and it's, uh, that's a good question. You know, when it comes to, you talked briefly about climate change, for instance, and uh, we are starting to see the real negative impacts of climate change just beginning. Um, you know, you and me, like we've talked about, we live in Phoenix, Arizona. We had how many days of over 100 degree, 110 degree weather in a row here? I lost count, man. It's it's been like yeah. over 50, I think over 60. It it, it was we record like, shattering, we blew a record not, not even by, record breaking. By like, yeah, by like over like 30 days too. Like we just destroyed a record or something like that. Yeah, the old record was like 36 days, I believe. Or yeah, something around. And like we that. just we just blew it out of the water. You know, we're seeing the wildfires just destroy God's god awful amount of. Um, homes and everything like that and just doing unprecedented damage i don't think humans are going to go extinct because of climate change we are too good of a cancer you I know completely agree. plain and simple we're, we're way too adaptable it's what quantity and what quality will we live in that's the real question and um i don't have an answer to that one you know because you know for instance here in phoenix arizona people every year die of heat strokes because of the weather here we're going to see those numbers just eventually you know become unprecedented because it's just going to be unlivable in the heat now, one of the issues that w w we were talking about here with resource-based economies, at least, um, is it's, it's, it's a mitigating factor. It's we're, we already have climate change. That's, you know, even if we cut all carbon emissions right now, we wouldn't start seeing the direct benefits for like another 30 years because, you know, climate takes time. It takes time to de deal with these things and everything like that. Absolutely. So it's mitigating issues is what we're dealing with here. And as long as we're playing with Monopoly money, there is no incentive <laughs> to do that. It literally you know, is Because as long Monopoly. as we're playing Monopoly money, it's a game. And it's about how can I win right here, right now. And I do I do want to end on a positive note is as much as humans can frustrate and disgust me, I do believe in them. I still do believe in humans. And I do. You know, humans have proved one thing very well is that we do our best with our backs against the wall. We say, no, fuck you. We're going to go do it our own way. <laughs> you know, whether that's through as crazy and um, horrible concepts as Manifest Destiny or, you know, some of the mo most resilient things we're seeing in, um, in an unprecedented pace at creating a vaccine. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing, the human ingenuity and our ability to just go, you know, F this, I'm going to go do this thing. However, you know, it's, it's going to be challenging and it's going to be hard and it's going to take new economic models that haven't been, or, and I believe political models that haven't been invented yet to really take us through to that next chapter for long-term sustainability. Now, again, the question is, what quality and what quantity will that be in? Because, you know, there is inherently nothing sustainable about exponential growth. That's not how mm -hmm. anything works in the world. You know, as much as we like to pretend we are, we're not God. We no. aren't. 
you know, um, I might have, during my drug addiction, you know, gone through a phase where I might have that, but, you know, I'm still just some dude. (laughs) (laughs) And it's important for us to take that into account and to remember that, you know, that it's going to take these new paradigms that are really going to take us to places that we never thought possible and to bring us to a level of sustainability and survival that we never thought possible too as well. And is that, is the answer a resource-based economy? No, maybe it's not, but it takes us having these conversations and then not not following these conversations up with direct action to be able to create that change. Because as of right now, where you and me live in the the heart of the USA and everything like that, there is no ethical consumption in this capitalistic society. There is no way for us to exist successfully in the society and be sustainable. It's... You, you, you and me live in Phoenix, Arizona. You don't have a car. You're not being able to get around. We are not a transit, um, public transit friendly city. Not we have at a all. Really bad oh public transit situation. And I couldn't work where I was in my current position without a car. So I'm now dependent on fossil fuels. How on earth could you escape single use plastics in our society? I don't. I haven't figured that out yet. From whether getting my shampoo to getting a water bottle when I desperately need some water when I'm um, out in the middle of the sun and I need to go to a vending machine or something like that because as everyone knows who lives in Phoenix, Arizona, our public water sucks. (laughs) Our tap water is not good. It is full of not good chemicals. And it, it, it tastes like it. Keep going because you're really deterring more people from California for moving here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, that's, that's exactly right. You know, in Phoenix, Arizona, air conditioning is not a luxury. It's a survival necessity, literally. Completely um, people agree. die every year when their AC goes out here. And the, but the power that's derived from that is from non-renewable sources. So in order to have something I, a lot of people need to live for here for you know half the year is derived from non-renewable sources so there is no way you can escape that dilemma that ethical moral pandora's box and um as much as we talk about this you know even making as little direct action changes as we can or as much um direct action changes as we can in our life you know it's it's i don't want to say it's for a loss but it's just it's a it's it's not even a drop in the bucket you know Mm -hmm. just because of scaling issues so it's do your best, do your part of what you can do, but it's really going to take drastic changes to our entire system and modality to actually have any significant net positive benefit, you know, to what we've done and the damage that we've done. Absolutely, Nathaniel. And I think that's a great way to start wrapping things up here. So what I'll say in conclusion is we're taking some steps in the right direction. They're baby steps, Right. We're developing cars that are powered based on electricity, which is something that nobody, I'm sure, 50 years ago would have even imagined as possible. But those cars are getting their source of energy from a grid that's still a vast majority based on non-renewable fuel sources. So there's that issue. Then there's the issue of even in the current state that we are in right now with the COVID-19 pandemic, We're living in a capitalist society like a lot of the world is. And what you realize is that once the vaccine is developed, there's ethical concerns with how is it going to be distributed? You know, vaccines, while vaccines are somewhat of a finite resource, they can continue to be created, but there's still only so many to go around and they're typically going to go to the highest bidder right now. However, in a true resource-based economy, could we become more global? Could we 
take it a step further and truly become a completely globally efficient economy by exchanging resources with one another that other countries need and and being more equitable and and not always looking at the price tag because prices fluctuate and and what i'll tell the audience here ending off is i i just hope that you realize that basically no matter what society has taught you paper money in any country has literally just as much intrinsic value as monopoly money just just realize that and you'll realize that our whole institution and our whole economy is based on a concept and it's not based on anything physical. Once we can get to that point or, or some other economic system where we can exchange more efficiently, be less wasteful and be more equitable, only then will we be able to move forward in a constructive fashion that will benefit everybody. Yeah. You know, anybody who's listened to my heat waves episode, you heard about the destruction of the wildfires and the records of heat that we've been shattering here in Phoenix, Arizona, as Nathaniel touched on. And there's other crises happening right now and have been happening because of resources like plastics getting dumped in the ocean. And once we can finally realize the consequences of our actions and that not everything should be looked at in terms of dollars and cents and profits, that maybe then we could turn the ship around. Maybe we can clean up the oceans and maybe someday we can start to reverse and mitigate the effects of climate change. Maybe someday we can equitably distribute resources across the globe to people who actually need them and, and distribute them away from people that don't. And, yeah. I, I tell you one thing, if, if we weren't based on money, Jeff Bezos would not have the money he has because that money would directly translate into a bunch of resources that he doesn't need and he wouldn't want to have. No, and uh, I guess my kind of final point that I'll, I'll touch on here is, and you touched, I think that's really important, is, uh, and you just said it in passing too, in order for us to have a high quality of existence in the future, we need to become a more globalist society. And that's a, that's a boogeyman term for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. You know, globalist has been used as some kind of scapegoat Illuminati conspiracy thing now for, you know, going on for quite a while. And it's now made its way into the popular zeitgeist as, uh, for a lot of people, as a very um, conspiratorial, toxic, you know, cabal thing. Um, when in reality, borders are imaginary lines. We, we, we arbitrarily make them. You know, there is no such thing as an illegal human being. We're all just humans on Earth. We just create these artificial constructs that define our paradigm. In, um, in creating labels and you know um, putting things in boxes for us to understand there's a lot of value in that that's how we exist as a society but they're all made up <laughs> they're all just they're all just sounds that come out of our mouth that we yep. do use to determine things right you know it's you know the border between us and mexico is this arbitrary line that we half half of us want to put a fence up on half of us are like no but in reality what is it it's just a bunch of rocks and sand and some wildlife, you know? Mm -hmm. That's 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 what that border is. It's everything else is something we've created for it. It isn't what it is. And in order for us to have this, we have to somehow get over our collective boogeyman of globalism and realize we're all just one fucking people, dude. Yeah. We're all just humans in the same boat together and because of some people who have been incredibly toxic stewards of it, you know, we find ourselves in a very unenviable position where, you know, in order for us to actually enact some direct action change on it, we're labeled as radicals who, you know, wanted to destroy the entire world and everything like that, where it's no, man, it's just, 
we're, I guess we are radicals because we think that we should we should leave a, a world better for our children. I mean, you have a little girl who just came, you know? Exactly. And, you know, I, as you know, one of your best friends and everything like that, you know, I don't have any kids myself or anything like that, but I want to leave a hell of a better world than I was inher- than we inherited for that little girl of yours. You know, we're, we're inherited a pretty shitty fucking world. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of benefit and a lot of good to it. You know, I'm very grateful for the opportunities and the blessings that I've received and everything like that. But, I mean, we, we've had how many now in our lifetimes unprecedented once-in-a-lifetime economic recessions? How many storms of the century? How many times has freaking California caught on fire now? You know, all these different things that were unprecedented. You know, I want to leave a better world It's for getting them. worse every year. The Antarctic ice shelf is melting. Yeah, yeah it's a fucking... We're screwing over the penguins, and I can't believe we can't get united enough to save a fucking penguin at least. You know, it's terrible. But they're cute and shit. So you know, you have these different things. You know, where it's, I guess you have to be a radical to actually care about other people, and that's a very sad thing. Where basic human empathy and human issues, not political issues, but human issues, have become political talking points. And in theory, to wrap it all up to from the tangent that we just got on, back to resource-based economies, one of the things that we haven't said but is intrinsic in all resource-based economies is the intrinsic motivating factor is sustainability and quality and equity of human life, something that our economic system does not represent right now. Not at all. Our economic system has never once represented that for the masses of people. It's always been a game for those who can make the most money. Whereas intrinsically in a resource-based economy, it, the, one of the motivating factors in that is equity for everyone and for all of us to have a high quality of life. And that is why even though there's a heck of a lot of hurdles to get there and there's a heck of a lot of logistical questions, but that is why I am personally in the camp of believing in um, that we should be transitioning towards some form of a resource-based economy. Agreed. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Nathaniel. It really is about leaving a world tomorrow that's better than the world we inherited in the world of yesterday. And the only way that's possible is if we set aside our differences and learn that we are stronger together. And I hate to tell you this, anyone who's probably listening, whether you believe it now or not, I can say without doubt that nationalism is dying and globalism is the new way. And it it is the new way because we're learning as a species that the only way we work great together is when we work together and, and don't separate ourselves with these arbitrary boundaries so just like climate change it's not a political issue globalism versus nationalism as much as people love to make it about politics it's really not it's more of an inevitable thing that is going to happen and not because of you know some grand conspiracy or something like that but truly because we are wasting resources valuable resources we're wasting lives we're wasting talent and we're wasting time like we're wasting all kinds of very different and very intangible resources that we will never ever get back but i think that again like you said nathaniel we don't know if resource-based economy is the way to move forward but what i I will tell you is that i know you and me both are both going to bust our butts to do whatever we can to leave some sort of an impact on tomorrow to make it better than what we inherited and to at least commit to being part of the change because there there is going to be change we just don't know what it's going to be but 
I'll, I'll just say this, like people just need to be committed to the idea that we need to be open-minded and, and pursue this positive change. Otherwise, we have no chance of living in a future that is better than today. You know, um, I think my last point will be this. One of the most important economic resources we have is human capital. And when it comes to my Hershey's chocolate bar, I don't want it to be dependent on human slavery in Africa. I want it to be based on that stuff. I don't think that mm -hmm. is an equitable thing. I think it is disgusting. And I think that, unfortunately, that is what capitalism does. Where when you have companies like Nestle says, we couldn't afford to sell you chocolate if it wasn't for slave labor. And I think that is one of the fallings in our system that would be intrinsically done away with in a resource-based economy because that human capital and the human equity is so fundamental in um, the motivations behind a resource-based economy. Um, and like I said, I don't know if um, a resource-based economy is the long-term sustainable answer, but I'm willing to put my hat into a ring to try a different modality that actually promotes human equity. And um, with that, I'll give you a crisp high five over the microphone here for another good episode. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was actually going to call that out, Nathaniel. You're you're thinking along the same lines that, that I was, that somehow we've been doing this miles apart. And anyone who's listening to this podcast right now probably wouldn't be able to guess that because obviously both of us have quality setups in our respective homes. But, you, you know, we're, we're, we're making it work despite the um, obstacles that have been placed on us and... As always, another fantastic discussion with you, Nathaniel. I loved getting to cover this topic with you. I think it's very interesting, thought-provoking. I could definitely see us revisiting it in the future. And I want to thank you sincerely for your time. And in audience, I want to also sincerely thank you for your time as well. Thank you for listening to us today and, and keeping an open mind. And I encourage you to please be a part of the positive change in the future and remember that you are extremely valuable in that. As always, you're not alone. You are loved and you are worth it. Thanks for listening about Resource-Based Economy. If this podcast is your cup of tea and you enjoyed this iced tea, then please subscribe for the latest freshly brewed ice-cold content. As always... Let your thirst for curiosity leave you feeling enlightened. <laughs>